get murdered before his eyes? I don't know. But I mean, the reality that that happened, I mean, it's something like that. You know, you get deluded with God. You mean God doesn't come through or with why did he stop or something like that. Many people get deluded with God. Many say, I want nothing to do with him anymore. And, and so did something drastic happen that he, you know, that he just felt he was going to walk away? Then, when, when was his heart starting to soften back to, to, you know, his roots and maybe what he was taught through the years, you know, maybe he was young, what caused him to maybe start to allow this Holy Spirit to maybe start working and softening his mind and heart? Because, boy, when, when Jesus stood in front of that, that tax collector booth, looked right into his eyes. He saw that unconditional love. He saw that acceptance. He saw that, um, well, I think it was irresistible. I think when you look at the eye, into the eyes of Jesus, it's just irresistible. And he, he got up and he admitted, my life was changed and I followed him. And I, I was thinking when I was studying that, it reminded me of life for about a year and I remember the first my first experience and, and when I was picked up by this driver and, and this driver was very inquisitive. In fact after I sang at the count at the big convention then he took me back to the airport and in that three minutes time he, he asked me, he said, Well what kind of singer are you? And you know the Lord was feeding me verses like when Peter said, Be ready with an answer when they ask you and the don't try to, you know, be pushy or anything, and and otherwise it's like casting pearls before a swine. They don't want to hear anyway. So I was trying to hear the Lord, and He said, "What kind of singer are you?" And I said, "Gospel singer." And and, and then He looked at me, and I could see in the rearview mirror, He's looking at me, and He said, "Well, you can't be a gospel singer. You're not the right color." And 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 I said, "Well, you know, you just obviously do not know what the what the word gospel means because it has nothing to do with color." No music-wise, that's a thing. But when, when you know, so I was just kind of feeding him a little bit and hoping and praying, Lord, if this is way the avenue you want me to take with him, and sure enough, he bought it. He says, well, because I said, the gospel is the greatest news you're ever going to hear. Because it is. It is the greatest news you're ever going to hear. But I didn't want to push him on him. I wanted him to want to know what it was. And sure enough, he did. He said, well, what's the greatest news? I don't want to miss it. I thought, oh, good. You're right. You don't want to and then I thought, how can I, how can I kind of work my way into this without sounding too preachy? So it, you know, I just depended on the spirit to kind of ease me into this. And so I thought, how can I put this? And so I said to him, I said, you know, I'm a halfway married, so I don't want you to take this in the past, but I want you to know you're one good looking man. Because he he was, he was a really good looking man. So I just told him, well, that got his attention, you know. <laughs> and and then I said to him, I said, um, but I, I want you to know that the gospel and the great news has nothing to do with our outward appearance. Because, you see, the reason why we need this great news is because if you turn any one of us out, no matter how good-looking you are on the outside, if you turn any one of us out, uh, inside out, I said we would look dark and we'd be lost. And, and you know, there, there's a heaven and there's a hell. And, and there's the cross of Jesus that, that wants... Um, to 
know? And because, you know, this was, this was my work house who would work there. And I thought, he asked them, do you want to know? And I just started telling them. And he was, he was, he was responding. He really was. And so he had asked me some more questions about this Jesus. And he, you know, coming from this area, who, who doesn't know? Well, believe it or not, a lot of people don't know. They might have heard his name, but maybe in the wrong context, you know. But he was starting to really want to know. And so I just kept telling him. And in that 30 minutes, and all of a sudden we pull up the airport, and I had said what I needed to say. And he came around, and he, I knew I was never going to probably see this man again. He helped me out of the car, and he looked into my face, and he said to me, he said, it's been a pleasure to drive you. I want you to know that I will never be the same after today. And I and I I thought of this story when I was because when I was trying to get a hold of Matthew because I I thought you know what that's what Matthew was trying is trying to save us that that he too was on the wrong path and this this gospel saved him and he was never the same after that and and you know taking that is probably the hardest thing we ever have to do because it makes us confront ourselves for what we really are. And I know living in our little West Michigan and in our little church community and, and all that, but the bottom line is that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. You know, there is no one righteous. And, and so that's why it's such a hard day first because that's when you finally realize you're nothing without Him. And only He then you finally take that walk because you don't, you know, you just, you just know you're desperate. And you take that desperate walk to the cross. And then you find you a Savior that's just waiting there for you. Who's just ready to take all your sins and, and say, I'm going to remember them no more. You are my child. I'm going to give you my very spirit. Now, now, go live the life abundantly. And I'll tell you and teach you day by day how to do that. I mean, Matthew knew that, and, and, I, and I hope and pray that you're learning that too, the more that you study and the more you desire to want to know, and that's why I asked you when you left last week, do you really want to be healed? Because you can't stay the same and really hear verse by verse and hear God talking to you, because he will be. And remember last week we said that all scripture, all scripture is there. Paul said to Timothy, you don't need any other book to all scripture is God-worthy, and it is so useful for, for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, which we all need, and it's also so good for training you how to live right, because it will also give you exactly and equip you exactly for, for every good work that I have for you. In other words, it will help you to live the kind of life that I don't want you to miss. So as we start Matthew, I just think it, it was it was worth the time to kind of go back in days past and to realize who is writing this. A man who has been around the block, who has resisted, but for some reason was confronted with this with Jesus and then poured it all out. And he didn't want anybody else 
her. And he thought, even some of those Jews, because, you know, sometimes you can be so religious and not catch the, the main principle. And, and we even have that today yeah, with Jewish people. There are some that just refuse to accept that Jesus is the Messiah. We have a lot of religious people sitting in churches today who, too, haven't personally realized that this is something that they need, that this is a Savior that needs to cleanse them also. And I, I can just, I'm sure you do too, you know, well, I, you know, I don't remember when Jesus, you know, when, when I was saved. I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember the exact day. And, you know, my answer back to you is, well, you know what? God sure does. Because in a split second in time, a reality is, is that your eternal destiny, because we all have an eternal destiny, and your eternal destiny, when you went to the cross and accepted Jesus as your Savior, you changed your destiny from hell to heaven. I mean, that's, that, was a, that was a moment in time that that switched. There was a moment in time when, when Jesus became your Savior that the angels in heaven partied because the Bible says that they will always party over a sinner that repents. So there, there even if you don't remember, and, and that's why I had many other night that said to me, man, I just love this revolver back to happen. Some people think that you just become a Christian because you've been privileged to, to be, be in a Christian environment or in West Michigan and go to church or, man, if anybody had credentials, I did. Paul said, I had credentials too, but you know what? As important as my credentials were, like church and Christian school and children's Bible hour and all those things that I was blessed to be a part of, they all only, they could only lead me to the one who could save me. And these are the, these are the, this is the bottom line that you have to start with that I think Matthew says, I, I, I've been there, I know. And so as we start, as, you know, we see the genealogy of Jesus, it's, you think, oh, you know, let's just skip this. But I hope that this particular week as you went through it, that maybe I, I hope to have asked you some questions that might, might have made you kind of look into that genealogy a little bit and see just how special it is. And that first question I asked you, I said to you, um, why was, was Matthew so smart to be able to start his, his transitional book, the gospel that was now New Testament, but yet it was going to kind of bring the old into the new. Why was starting with genealogy brilliant? That was Holy Spirit blood, Matthew, because as maybe as smart of a man as you were, only the Holy Spirit could have said, start with genealogy. Because usually we just start a book. Don't you want to get people's attention? Well, you know, genealogy isn't really something you're all excited about. Well, if you were a Jew before he was. Oh, Jews love that family name. And so he knew that Jews would gravitate right to that. Oh, yeah, so do you know so-so? Do you know so-so? Do you, do you remember so-so? I mean, he said, I can just hear people going through this and recalling going back into the family tree and all this kind of stuff. We love this. Oh, that one. But then did you see 
know, he, he was just one of those, uh, one of the ten brothers that were, you know, they were in the fields, and, and he was one of them that, when Joseph came, you know, with the coat of many colors, being the favorite and all. So, um, he was a part of this plan, and uh, sure enough, you know, he, um, Joseph gets shipped off to Egypt. And what do they do to their dad? They take Joseph's coat and they, they rip it up and they pour blood on it and say, oh, sorry, Pops, but, you know, damn, I got him. You read the story of Judah, it was right after all that happened. You know what? I think guilt said, because the Lord was already starting to work on Judah, because he had plans for Judah, and he knew that he had to get this boy's life straightened out. And you know, guilt thinks a horrible thing, but yet I dare say it is a gift from God. Because guilt, what will guilt, because it's so awful, what is the whole point of guilt? Making you feel so bad about your sin that what? You'll do something about it. You'll confess. You'll repent. Now, Judah, like so many people, when, when the Lord uses guilt to start convicting them, he thought, well, I'm just going to get out of town. And he took off to eat. I'm going to get as far away from, from my home as I can so I don't have to just keep, you know, rubbing that wound. And maybe if I just get way into a pagan territory and get so out of this, then I, I'll just forget about it. Well, we know running away never, ever takes care of the guilt. Where's the only place you can go when you are guilty? Where's the only place you can take confession? why we take so many trips to the cross, don't we? But anyways, then after after he he um, takes a wife there in, in pagan country, and he, he knows better. But it's so, you see, once you're caught up in sin, it just keeps pulling you farther and farther away. You don't even care. And he's doing things that totally he wasn't supposed to do. He marries this pagan woman. They have three sons. If you read the story about these three sons, apparently his first son, Ur, was E-R. He was so terrible. He just, he hated the ways of the Lord. Well, he probably didn't learn them because his dad probably wasn't teaching them either. Apparently he was so wicked. It says right in there that the Lord killed him. And you think, well, the Lord killed him? It says right there the Lord killed him. But you know, disobedience, the Lord's never, never pulled the wool over our eyes. He's always said, hey, disobedience to me will always lead to death. It will always lead to That's why Jesus is our life. So, God kills her. So now, what is the tradition? Well, now you've got, now this, um, Tamar. This Tamar, because her married a woman named Tamar, because you know what? Because, because Judah went and found him a wife for himself. Now, I looked up that word Tamar, and, I, and it's a Hebrew name. So, did he want for his boys something better than what he, he knew that he didn't do for himself? I don't know. I don't know where he got Tamar. All I know is that she, it's, it's 
my life instead. When he goes to Jacob, he says, um, you, you know, um, I will be responsible. I mean, this man is changed. When Jesus gets a hold of you, and now, now Jesus is ready to come through this line. And we see a mother named Tamar. What does that tell you? I think Matthew wants us to see that the whole point that Jesus came was to take imperfect sinners and love them and save them. So then we, we go down the little ways and then we find out that, you know, we're kind of in the book of Judges and, and the million plus Israelites are, are now starting to enter the promised land after they've been, you know, through the wilderness and all that kind of thing. And now they're ready to get into the promised land and, and they're going to go into Jericho. And so they send out two spies and where do they go? They end up meeting a woman named Rahab. And she is, she is a prostitute. And yet there was something about this woman because of all the paganism that's going around, all the life that this woman had Led. She chose to listen about this God that separated the Red Sea, and she let this mustard seed of faith, and then all God had to do was look at the little mustard seed of faith and say, I'm going to work with that. And then you watch what happened in that story, and of course, because of the scarlet robe, she and her family are saved while everybody else is destroyed. So kind of engrafts her in and she marries a man named Solomon. And they have a boy. They have a little boy. And his name is Boaz. And I believe when he was just the right age, his mama sat him down and said, Boaz, I want you to know what I want to see from It's important that you know as I'm, as I'm teaching you about God, I want you to know that one of the biggest attributes God is that he takes us as we are and he forgives because he loves us so much. Let me tell you what I want to see. And then it's Boaz that when you're in the, in the book of Ruth where you have this Moabite woman that's sister of her mother-in-law. I want your God to be my God. And she comes leaving all that's comfortable in her own family and comes with Naomi and and there she is clean, trying to make a little living or getting some food for her mother-in-law. And, and is this coincidence that all of a sudden Boaz looks at this Moabite and just is smitten? No, not because of her outside, but because he looks at her remembering his mama's story. And the Lord puts in within him a love for her.
hope by proof. But then, as you move into this next paragraph, we're starting the next 14 generations, you notice there's another woman, but her name isn't mentioned, but you know who it is. Now Solomon, or David, was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now we know that that's Bathsheba. But did you notice, did you ever think, why was it Bathsheba? You have Tamar, you have, you know, you've got Ruth, and you've, you know, you've got Rahab in there. But why doesn't he put Bathsheba? Because she is the mother. He's pointing, that's right, he's, he's looking at, Uriah deserves the name. Because you know Uriah, you know, there was the righteous man. He was the one that followed. And even though, even though Solomon is going to come through that line, in the lineage, Uriah's name gets there. Because, you know, when, when she became pregnant, David thought, oh, boy, let's see. I'll get Uriah to come on out, out, of the, out of the armed forces, and I'll get him to go home for a night. Well, then, you know, no DNA back then. So, you know what? It's just sure, sure, it's Uriah's kid. Oh, man, he thought he was so smug. Well, Uriah wasn't going to buy into that. He says, man, I'm not going home. If, I, if they can't go home, I can't go home. So he, what does he do? He sleeps on by the steps of the, of the palace until David sends him back. Well, then, you know what? David realizes, hey, this man is too righteous for me. I'll just have to put him on the front line and have him murdered. Problem solved. of a woman. He had to become flesh. So he had to be born of a woman. 
you have another question? Like, did you just think, oh, okay, that, that, I get it. I mean, what in the whole world? What does that mean, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon? What's that going to feel like? What is that going to mean? This never happened before. And yet you have a woman that comes back and says, may it be just as you say. That's why she was picked. Because this was not going to be an easy task. Not only to be pregnant, you know, and have to deal with all the people's yapping and gossiping and all that. But she was going to have to raise this child. And we know some instances in, in, as Jesus grew, I mean, this was not going to be a cakewalk. And God knew who he was going to use, who would be obedient. I mean, and look at Joseph, too. I mean, that, that was a real smack to say, Was, he was on the radio all the time and he was, he 
now definitely know that the blood which flows in an unborn baby's arteries and veins is not derived from the mother, but is produced within the body of that egg itself, only after the introduction of the male sperm. An unfertilized egg can never develop blood since the female egg does not by itself contain the elements essential for the production of this blood. Conception by the Holy Spirit then was the only way the virgin birth could be accomplished. Mary contributed the body of Jesus and he became the seed of David according to the flesh. The Holy Spirit contributed the blood of Jesus. It was sinless blood. It was divine blood. It's precious blood. And there will never be blood like it again. Huh. Isn't that, doesn't that give you chills? You talk about every detail. Grateful to know that. Remember last week I said, well, why do we study? You know, because there's so much to know. And the more you know, it just makes more sense and it deepens your, your belief. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to marry home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Oh, and what a name that is. We know, we know that it's the name that every knee will bow to and every tongue will confess to. We know that. But in the first chapter of Matthew, Now in view of what you 